As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone and this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Well, the season marched serenely on last night with a comfortable 3-0 win over Bodo Glimt in the Europa League. We'll talk about that game as well as look forward to a titanic struggle against Liverpool at the Emirates on Sunday. Uh, joined this week, I am by Adrian Clark and Art de Roche. Morning. Morning, Stoney. Morning, morning. Morning. Uh, nice to see you. Uh, yeah, things are going very, very nicely. Hopefully another happy podcast. Uh, I mean, I should talk about Sean Janelle, who is an Arsenal fan from Denver in the US, who tweeted us last week. He said, just listen to the pod. He said, I've only been to one Arsenal match in my life last week's North London derby. It's possible, Sean, you'll never top that. But anyway, uh, we hope you will, obviously, later in the year. Uh, He said it exceeded expectations. I'm happy to hear it wasn't just subjectively amazing, but objectively so with the buzz of the crowd and result, I'm still buzzing. So, we were wondering if you could pick one game to be your first experience of watching the Arsenal live. What game are you picking? Now, I suppose we could have past or future games, really. (laughs) Uh, I don't really mind, to be honest. Art, what game are you picking? Um, Well, unfortunately for me, unlike you guys, I never really got to experience Highbury. So my one's going to have to come there. And I think it's quite coincidental against Liverpool. I, I think... I had to pick, obviously, the Invincibles era um, to see Thierry Henry. And I went for the 4-2 win over Liverpool at Highbury because I thought, thought just the drama that was in that game and also the fact that he scored a hat-trick, I think that probably would have been the perfect way to start things off. But um, I can only dream about that now. I can't actually do it. <laughs> that was intense, wasn't it? Adrian, were you there for that? I one? wasn't, uh, but it's one of my favourite games ever. No doubt about it. Because of the circumstance as much as everything because Arsenal were falling apart it was all going it was all beginning to collapse a sensational season and the pressure was on and for Thierry to to turn in such a a masterful performance after we'd gone behind by the way in that game 
was just incredible and yeah there was real euphoria you know that it was yeah. it was i mean Thierry Henry has talked quite a lot about that game and and uh, Amy and myself on this podcast and and cuz as you said i mean falling apart is a strong word but yeah. we'd gone out of the champions league to chelsea we'd gone out of the fa cup to manchester united and then suddenly we're 2-1 down to liverpool at half time and then Thierry does what he does it was fantastic it really was so yeah that would be a good one although I think it almost might be a bit too much for your, for your newbie, <laughs> to be honest, because I think they'd, they'd be slightly scared uh, of something like that. Uh, what about you, Adrian? What are you going for? Yeah, uh, I, that was definitely on my shortlist. But I've gone with another North London derby, 2012. 2-0 down to Spurs. Another penalty, another dive. <laughs> uh, Gareth Bale this time. Um, and then we roar back, don't we, to win 5-2. That was sensational with Sanya. Great header, Van Persie, brilliant turn and, and curler into the corner, two apiece at half time. And then, wow, second half, we absolutely annihilated Spurs. And it was sort of Theo Walcott and Rosicki and Van Persie just flying at them. And there were some great goals and the, the momentum and the noise inside that stadium was was amazing. So, yeah, that would that would be a good good opener I think just to go through the whole emotional oh, journey as well in one game another emotional one wasn't it and by the way when, when Adrian is talking about that 5-2 he's not talking about the other 5-2 because <laughs> there were a couple weren't there so just you know I would take either to be honest with you but that one certainly when uh, when Rosicki scored to go 3-2 up wasn't it oh, and then yeah. Theo got yeah. that last one and the noise was sensational yeah uh, that's, uh, that's a good one um I mean, honestly, I'm going back to Highbury as well. Um, I remember a game against Shakhtar Donetsk, and uh, I've talked about this on here, uh, when we were 2-0 down, and Martin Keown got two uh, in that game, including the winner in the last minute, and I have never heard anything like it. Kanu, one more trip maybe. Kanu, Keown! It's a real Arsenal man at the real home of Arsenal Martin Keown, a minute and a half into stoppage time, 2-0 down, 3-2 up. I went home and I said it was the crowd that made the difference. And I, I honestly, my missus looked at me like it's the most pathetic thing I'd ever <laughs> said in my life. And then about half an hour later, we watched the highlights. I say we watched the highlights. They were on. My missus was in the lounge. She had no choice but to watch the highlights. And um, at the end of the game, Martin Keown said it was the crowd that did it. And I turned to her and went, see, see, it was me. I was involved in that. And uh, she still thinks I'm an idiot, but what can you do? Um, that one. And um, and I also, uh, I, I'm going to go for a future game as well. Um, no, I am. I am. When we, uh, when we uh, win a semi-final of the Champions League <laughs> in a couple of years at the Emirates. I'm not taking a final. I'm taking a, a home game. Who are we beating? Uh, do you know what? I'd like to say Tottenham, but that would. I actually don't think my heart could take that, to be honest with you. A two legged game against Spurs in the semi final of the Champions League. Because let's be fair, Spurs won't be in the Champions League if they keep playing the football they're playing. Not, not really. Uh, but, you know, something like that. Uh, Granite Xhaka uh, leading us to glory, uh, I think, is, is how I picture it in my head. Because we were talking about his redemption. Anyway, uh, Sean, thanks for your uh, tweet. And what an amazing game. Uh, to start, yeah, you really saw uh, the Emirates at its very best. 
last night. I didn't go last night. Did you guys go, by the way? Were you there? Yes, we did. We're not, we're yes. not fair, fair weather fans like <laughs> no, yourself. Stop it. Stop it. I was, do, I was doing... <laughs> do you know what? I was doing an award ceremony, all right, for PR people. Uh, but anyway, I did... Was I, I was sort of sneaking uh, views of the game. Arsenal 3, Bodo glimped, nil. Can we talk first about Eddie Nketiah? Adrian, uh, we've seen and we've talked on this pod about Eddie Nketiah and how he has risen to the challenge because it started really Eddie's rebirth, if you like, before Gabriel Jesus uh, got to the club. You know, we talked about how last season, those games, at the end of the season, that's what won him the contract. But since Jesus has turned up, I think he's gone to another level. And last night, he... He really was. He was the, the catalyst, was he not? Or him and maybe Vieira as well. But Eddie has, has really taken a number of steps forward, I think. Yeah, I, I think he was He was definitely our best player in the first half. Maybe not over the course of the whole game, but he, he was excellent. I talked about it on the on the breakdown live afterwards. I said he looks bigger and that, that comes out of confidence. He's standing taller. He's got more of a presence about him on the pitch. And I also mentioned... How alike he looks to Gabriel Jesus in terms of his play, his yeah. movement, the runs, the turns, the slipperiness of his all-round game mimics really what we see from Gabriel Jesus at the weekend. So part of it, I think he's learned a bit from from the Brazilian, but most of it is down to just belief and confidence. And it's it's rocketed since obviously he started to get picked ahead of Lacazette towards the end of last season. I think that, that was a real boost to him. And uh, and because he delivered then, he's just kept on delivering. It's, um, yeah, it's brilliant to see. Because hand on heart, I didn't see him developing into the player we're now watching. I thought for the sake of his career, he'd probably be better off elsewhere. But now he, lo- he, now he, look, he looks Arsenal level now. And he, he's absolutely a worthy understudy to, to Gabriel Jesus. So yeah, all power to... To Eddie and Ketia. And that, that finish from the rebound, I was right behind it. He made it look so easy. I mean, it pinged off the post. And his instinct was was just so calm and, and collected. Yeah, brilliant from him. Yeah, and, and Art, to have another homegrown talent uh, in the group, someone, I mean, oh, I don't know how much you want to play stop by, oh, he knows the Arsenal, He's, but he has grown up. At the club, isn't he? I mean, he was a kid when he arrived and we had such high hopes for him. I remember him coming on against Norwich in a League Cup game about, whatever, five, six years ago when he got two goals and the whole crowd are singing his name and we thought the emergence of a genuine talent. And then his career just didn't quite work out. But now he's got a serious chance of uh, of playing in major games for the Arsenal. Yeah, it's quite crazy to think he's already played over 100 games for Arsenal, which... I know probably most of those would be off the bench, but it's still, I don't think when you see that stat, you actually comprehend how long he's been in and around the first team. Like you said, it's been five years. Now he's 23. And I think you're seeing, as Adrian mentioned, he's just becoming a much more rounded player. And in terms of being um, homegrown, I think you really see... He's from London. <laughs> when, when, um, when you see the he was way at he Chelsea talks. wasn't he as a kid? Yeah, he, he was at Chelsea, was at Chelsea yeah. before yeah. Arsenal got released, and I think within a week he was at Arsenal. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah. I, I spoke to the scout, one of the scouts last season in the press box, and he was sort of talking me through it. He said we couldn't believe it. 
We could we we knew about Eddie. We just couldn't get our heads around Chelsea were letting him go, and we had to. We swooped like how straight old, away. How old was he at the time? He, he was fourteen. It's fourteen, yeah. right? Okay, yeah, okay. So that's a mistake, a bit of mistake on their part. That's well, it sure. certainly looks, it certainly uh, looks that way, and we're we're all very pleased for him. And and it's competition, which is what we're looking for. I mean, there were some other players who who played uh, yesterday. Reese Nelson, are oh, another one. I mean, we had such high hopes for Reese. In a sense. What happened with Eddie last year? Do you think it's shown the way a little bit? You know, you you, you think that someone's almost out the door. And Reese Nelson was certainly, he was on loan, wasn't he, at finals, yeah. wasn't he? Uh, and then he got this injury. And but, but Mikel Arteta has sort of shown faith with him. And you could see when he came on, he wants him to do well. And he had some confidence. And we know how good he is. Again, it's competition for places. Yeah, you can definitely see the parallels between Nelson and, and Ketty, I think, between last season and this. And just with Nelson, I think it's not just Arteta, who obviously really liked him when he first took the job, started him in um, his first two games, I believe, against Bournemouth and Chelsea over Nicolas Pepe, and also coached him when he was doing his coaching badges as a player. I think... The fans really wanted him to do well when he came on as well. There was almost there's more of a buzz when he got the ball than anyone when he came on. Obviously, Jesus is a bit of a outlier to that, but I think when he got the ball, that whole West Stand stood up and they were you could basically hear them saying, "Come on, Reese, do something." And I think he really looked bright and sharp um, on the ball. So it was really encouraging to see, and I think as the coming weeks go on I'd hopefully expect him to start some of the games in the Europa League and impress because over the summer it was my understanding that he would get those chances from Arteta because Arteta still likes him quite a lot and I think fingers crossed he stays fit and those are where the opportunities will come first and then you get to see I guess the the importance of the squad depth for this month and um, especially after the World Cup too. In football, you can never write anybody off. Not not anyone as talented as a Reese Nelson or an Eddie Nketiah. Eddie is a great example. So too is William Saliba. He's a player that, let, let's get this right, that Arteta initially didn't really fancy. And and now look, now look where he is. It wasn't long ago we were talking about, you know, he might never play for Arsenal and we're going we're gonna to shift him on. Um, what about Mo Salah? Uh, you know, initially didn't make it really at Chelsea, wasn't it? Um, Kevin De Bruyne and, uh, as well, by the exactly. way. Exactly. So it, it's finding the right manager, the right home, get, taking your chance at the right time. Yeah, there's still, there is still an opportunity for Reese because there's no doubt he's got the ability. I think half of it is finding the right position for him. I think coming in off the left is his best position personally. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see over the course of the Europa League and, and probably the Carabao Cup, see if he can deliver. I hope he can. Yeah, I think he's an interesting one because when I was speaking to him at the back end of last season for an interview before the Conference League final, he said he feels more natural off the left, but he was actually performing really well off the right for final at the back end of that year. So I think with however this season develops, the fact that he can do both to a decent level really helps him yeah and and helps us as well um i want to ask you guys both of you guys about the europa league it obviously isn't the caliber of the competition that you see in the champions league and i was watching milan and chelsea the other day 
and thinking we're as good as these two teams. We are def- we're above Chelsea in the league. Milan are a, a tasty team, but uh, we have players who, you know, we we I think as good if not better than quite a lot of teams in that competition. But we're having to put up with the Europa League. But do you think it is good for this sort of player development? I, I don't think, Adrian, that Reese Nelson would be getting time off the bench or Marquinhos uh, or uh, Sambi Laconga if we were playing in a Champions League group match. Completely agree. Yeah, no, it's perfect. It's, it's unbelievably positive news. Yeah, but for, is it then? Is it then actually better that we didn't qualify for the Champions League this year? <laughs> is my point. No, I would never say that because no, we can't clutch at that straw. <laughs> I mean, I can see the, I can see you're pretty much just winding me up there. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm saying I'm talking about long-term player development. I if get Eddie it. Nketiah no. and Reese Nelson come through, saves us a hundred million quid in signing some superstar, right? No, I, no, okay. but. It's, it's good for them, better for them. But it's clearly better for the club if we're in the Champions League. <laughs> but look, this time next year, it'll be fine. We'll be we'll be there then. And and these young players would have had lots and lots of experience, wouldn't they? So no, it it is perfect for tuning up the guys that Arteta wants in reserve because Arteta has probably the most fixed idea on his first eleven of all the managers in the Premier League right now. You, we could all name it. We all know yeah. his best team. So how do you motivate everyone else? How do you keep them interested and on board? Well, the answer is you play them in games like this and you reward them when they play well in games like this with chances in the Premier League. And we saw that with Marquinhos and others will get the opportunity as well. So, um, yeah, no, it's it's really good for us. And Buda Glimt weren't great. They were terrible in the first half, but in the second half, they gave us a little bit of a fright. And I think... I think the away game might be a really challenging one, actually. Um, They've they've won. They've won fourteen European home games in a row. Buda Glimt beat Roma six one last year, didn't they? I mean, these are no pushovers. They don't lose. They don't lose at home. So um, yeah. So so this particular fixture, I think, will will be a genuine test, like a Champions League level test. Yeah, Uh, Fabio Vieira are. Played yesterday, played really well, uh, scored his goal at the end. Lovely bit of work by Jesus and he finished it. I mean, he rapidly we're seeing now, aren't we, what what Edu and Arteta and the rest of the scouting team saw in him. I mean, he's going to push Martin Odegaard pretty hard, isn't he? And and that, to have competition in that spot is, is really crucial for us going forward, right? Yeah, I think what is good is he's slightly different player to Erdegaard whereas Erdegaard likes to knit things together and is very considered I think Vieira is a bit more instinctive and you see that with how many shots he got off yesterday and of course everyone was kind of waiting for him to finally score but even in his early kind of minutes in an Arsenal shirt you could see the technique was there at Bournemouth in that under 21s game you could see it um, and then Slowly you get more Premier League, oh, just first team minutes actually, because his first minutes and came in the Europa League. But I think with every game he's played, you can just see how quickly he works. And he's one of those players, similar to Erdegaard, who you actually appreciate more when you see them work in the flesh, I feel, because you see how clean and crisp every touch is. And yesterday was just a little glimpse into how he's different from Erdegaard, but can still contribute very, 
very much to the team. And I think that competition will help Arsenal in the long run because there will probably be games where he's more suited than than Erdegaard. But also you saw they, they played together yesterday as well. So I'd be interested to see in more testing games where 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 he goes um, if Erdegaard comes on the pitch with him. Does Erdegaard go into that 10 and then he goes into that kind of Xhaka role? I don't know. But um, it's definitely an interesting one to kind of work out, which will probably keep opposition teams guessing too. I think Granite is probably going to play every game from now until he retires, <laughs> to be honest with you. I mean, doesn't get nice of... off, does he? Yeah, it doesn't happen. It doesn't. No, but, he's, but he obviously is having a great time and he doesn't, he doesn't need him at the moment. Go on, yeah. Adrian. Yeah, on, on Vieira, um, he's more in product than, than dominant in the ball, isn't he? Um, yeah. I, was looking, I was looking at it, because obviously the, the thing about Erdegaard, and he's the, at the moment, he just give it to me and I'll make things happen. Whereas Vieira doesn't find it as easy to get on the ball. I think Buda Glimt were brilliant at shrinking the space between the lines. So very well coached team. So, so he struggled to find the space. He only had 16 passes in the game. Yeah. Um, but, he, but, all, but they were completed all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was a standout of the game. Um, he had 100%. I think Jesus, when he came on, had 100%. Saka had 100%. Uh, uh, Xhaka, 95 Tierney, 97 we we really didn't give the ball away very very often, right. but but yeah, Vieira five shots, three key passes, but only sixteen passes overall. So it's a, it's a curious quirk because in that position, you would normally expect and probably demand in a game like that he has fifty or sixty passes, but but maybe that will come in time when he gets a bit more confident. The Erling Haaland of midfield is what we're going to call him. Uh, <laughs> it was the same against Brentford because I, I wrote something on him after that game and he only, I think, he was ranked ninth or eighth for touches uh, yeah. by Arsenal players in that game. And then if you look at Erdegaard, Erdegaard's ranked around third in the games that he's yeah. most influential in. But it kind of reminds me of how Smith-Rowe broke into the team where Smith-Rowe is very... The way that I kind of worked it out in my head was low volume but high efficiency. So he spends very little time on the ball, but his touches are, are very important. So Smith Rowe would play it one two touch and get Arsenal up the pitch really quickly. And I think uh, it's slightly different with Vieira because it's very much end product based, but um, yeah, it's quite a similar thing with him that I, I kind of see. There's also been quite a lot of talk this week about contracts, uh, Bukayo Saka's contract talks. Also, uh, there's obviously a lot of chat about William Saliba and Gabriel Martinelli. It doesn't feel like the same sort of panic we felt in the past. I remember when Theo Walcott had us over a barrel with six months left in his contract and got an enormous amount of money and then barely scored for us again after that. But it feels different now, Adrian. Do you not think? I mean, this is um, a different vibe, essentially, is what's going on. And, and there doesn't seem to be any panic over it. No, there's a, well, the planning has all come to fruition, hasn't it? Sort of on and off the pitch. Everyone's a bit more settled in their roles. And I think that, yeah, we've not had major changes behind the scenes. And distract. why would you leave Arsenal uh, anyway? I mean, obviously, I'm a fan, right? So yeah. I'm asking that question. But... Even as a as a player, Adrian, yeah. it's going to be hard to find a happier dressing room and a happier training ground than uh, than Arsenal at the moment. I think surely. so. Yeah, no, I do. I agree with that. It's yeah, we're more appealing than we've been in many many 
years, aren't we? And I think everyone is really, really happy. You can see that. But but with contracts, you have agents involved and you have agents in the ears of the players. Boo. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and, and, and at the moment, the only issue I, I feel, because I, I think that they would all sign just like that. If they didn't have agents, they'd just say, yeah, give me the pen. Let's do it. But because they've got agents who have business heads, who know it's World Cup year, where values uh, and their commodities can increase in value over the course of one month, you know, if it's really, really successful. I, I just sense that, that the agents across the board would be telling their players to wait. Yeah, um, don't sign. Don't sign. Have a great World Cup and then yeah. we'll get another 20 grand a week on the contract. That's and that what they'll be saying, is- yeah perfect business sense in a way but I don't feel uh, any concern and this is it's unusual <laughs> when it comes to our young talent but uh, <laughs> do you know what we should clip this just so when all three leave at the end of the season <laughs> we're laughing but it's not funny it's, it's good not to, funny it's good to stri- with these things though you might as well strike while everything's rosy and, and everyone's so happy so it does make sense to push for it while we're flying because you know you're obviously going to be more likely to convince these players to commit long term then so yeah I I don't feel worried about any of them at the moment but the issue is if we don't win something this season then you know we know that managers like Martinelli they like Saka you know these are two players that that are really covered to Martin Erdegaard as well so yeah, we've got a lot of valuable players um, in the eyes of the world's big hit, biggest hitters. Yeah. Now. So um, we do have to be wary that it could happen. Yeah. If a Man City come in for a player or a Liverpool, it's not easy to walk away from that. If you're well, let's win something this mm. season, AR. I mean, that's what we need to do, right? Win, win a trophy, finish in the top four, and uh, and then we know we're making progress, right? Yeah, easy I mean, as that. It, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, I'm saying it, but you know, we've started pretty well. Played ten games, won nine of them. Probably should have won the other one as well. So we've started pretty well. And obviously, you'd say to Bukayo Saka, "Don't you want to play with William Saliba?" Of course you do. And then say it to the other way round as well. And Gabriel Martinelli is the same. I feel confident. Uh, I hope uh, you do too, listener. And as we mentioned, Liverpool will get into their visit uh, to the Emirates next. This is Handbrake Off from The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Through by Bellerin, turning his Ramsey, rolled in for Sanchez, away from Toure. Sanchez, wonderful! Wonderful, wonderful, what a goal! Arsenal play Liverpool on Sunday at the Emirates. There's an 11-point gap between the teams. Arsenal are ahead by 11 points. No one saw that coming, right? 
it's very, very strange. <laughs> and I think um, you see with the arguments throughout the season has been Arsenal have only played easy teams. But I feel like that's such a lazy kind of statement to make because you see with Liverpool how they've started this season. They've drawn to Fulham. They've drawn to Crystal Palace, who Arsenal have beaten both teams. Brighton. Um, Brighton as well. Although Arsenal aren't really they don't really have the best history against Brighton but I think you see with Liverpool no game is really that easy in the Premier League um, so I think except you, for Bournemouth <laughs> yeah. <laughs> except, yeah except for Bournemouth but I think you and Tottenham obviously yeah. I think you see you've just got to take your points wherever they come and going into the weekend Arsenal obviously in, in very good momentum so I'm just hoping that that kind of carries through and you see an Arsenal team that are willing to kind of take the game to Liverpool rather than waiting for Liverpool to play. And I think if you think back to the game of the Emirates last season in the Premier League, they played quite well in the first half. Uh, it was nil-nil at half-time and there was still kind of belief <laughs> during half-time that something could happen. But then Diogo Jota sh- shows up um, in the second half and the game's done within 10 minutes. I just hope that they can have another fast start because they've started games really quickly this year and just kind of build build from there. And hopefully, as you mentioned earlier, Ian, hopefully the crowd kind of takes them on a wave throughout the game. Yeah, uh, I mean, they're going to fear us, aren't they, Adrian, in a way that perhaps they haven't before. You know, you know that scene in Gladiator where they're in the uh, that that sort of moth-eaten gladiatorial arena somewhere in the Middle East. We're not sure where. You know the the first I one before remember. he gets the rope. Remember this? <laughs> And no he, idea and, what you're talking about. And Russell Crowe walks out, right, and he, he kills a lot of people. And then the second time he walks out, all the blokes who are there to kill him take a step back, right? Because they respect him because he's the general at that point. And I feel that Liverpool are going to have the same attitude. When we come out, they're going to just take a step back and go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not a team we can roll over now. If you haven't seen the film, you won't have a clue what I'm talking about there. But I've, listen, it's Gladiator. It's you not like some minor picture. art house yeah. movie. I did. <laughs> I think Liverpool fear us and will fear us and we're going to target Trent aren't we let's be fair well yeah I was looking at the goals Liverpool have conceded and a lot of teams have had success targeting him that's targeting him down that side 2v1 overloads and what what have Arsenal been doing all season anyway it's creating overloads particularly down the left hand side where yeah Xhaka and Martinelli and Gabriel Jesus have kind of formed this triangular axis where Two of them at any given time are popping up on on the fullback and playing around them. So, yeah, in that sense, Liverpool are tailor made for Arsenal here. But um, it's not as simple as that. They're they're a really good team. We have a bad record against them. We haven't scored in our last six meetings with Liverpool, um, which just I had I've had to double check it numerous occasions. Really? Yes, six matches without oh, a goal against Liverpool. Yeah. And, and look, this used to be a fixture that was, you know, free scoring. We scored lots, they scored lots. They usually won, but that, that hasn't been the case of late. So we, but but yeah, as you rightly point out, we're in a much better place. They will respect us more. And we're a team on the up. And I see them as a team that are maybe on the slide. And when you think about the age profile of the team, that is probably logical, I was looking at Liverpool. Their their three three draw against Brighton, seven over thirties. The average age was twenty eight 
and a half. For us, the average age is 24.3 last weekend, and we have one over 30, and that's Granite Xhaka, who is 30. So so, so, so we, we have got a young emerging team. We're, we're basically five years behind Liverpool in terms of the profile of our player, and that is a positive because they're coming to the end of a cycle. Uh, they need to regenerate. We're, we're, on, we're on the up. So I think this is a great clash. I expect goals. I think both teams will probably score. And uh, it could be a bit of a shootout. I just hope, I really hope we can come out on the right side of that shootout because the belief it will give the players if we can beat Liverpool is, is frightening. And, well, beating, um, to- beating Tottenham and then beating Liverpool uh, in a week uh, and, and brushing aside Berda Glimt. I know it wasn't an easy game, but, you know, uh, with our with most of our reserve team, that is a real statement. Um, I mean, Amy talked last week uh, about William Saliba. I, I mean, the guy's played, well, I don't know, eight games or something for us. It is a bit ridiculous. But a lot of people, a lot of people, some people are talking about this sort of Van Dyke effect that he had. Oh, I can see your face when I'm saying this. I'm just talking. I mean, look, it doesn't make any difference to Williamson. He doesn't listen yeah. to us and go, I am Virgil Van Dyke, right? He doesn't. So we're free to say what we want. And what we see, what we see is William Saliba at the back and he's got that sorted in the same way that Van Dyke had in those early days for Liverpool. He's unbelievably composed, both with and without the ball. And I think that's probably where those comparisons come from. But I see him as someone who just lets Arsenal play the way Mikel Arteta wants them to play in all aspects of the game. You saw that moment in the Tottenham game where... I think it's Son and Richarlison are pressing him inside the Arsenal box and he just spins away. I was actually oh. watching the game with um, a friend who hadn't watched William Saliba play yet and he was, I was about to swear, I don't know if we're allowed to swear, um, <laughs> <laughs> but he was very scared in that moment because um, re- he hadn't been exposed to what Saliba can do and obviously over time, I guess we've come become accustomed to that, his just spinning away from pressure and being, being able to kind of see what's going on. But yeah, I think going into the Liverpool game, it'll be really interesting to see, one, how high they still defend, and two, how he deals with those kind of pressure situations inside the box, which I think he will do well, and hopefully he just continues that momentum throughout, obviously, the game itself and then in the weeks to come too. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if Klopp goes to the front two again because he did in the in the Champions League. I don't know if you saw this, Stoney, against Rangers. He kind of went 4-4-2 yes. with yes. Nunez and Jota. It's annoying for us that Jota's fit again because he loves scoring against us. But with, with Salah and Luis Diaz as the wingers. Now, in one sense, that's a bit scary because two strikers occupying our centre-halves creates unbelievable pressure on them. And the way we defend with the sort of fullbacks pushed on, but quite central, leaves space naturally down the sides. And whether that's Salah, Diaz or one of the forwards spinning into it on those counters, I think Liverpool could have joy. Flip it around though, if they go 4-4-2, our midfield should absolutely dominate because they'll have two in there. We'll have Partey, Zinchenko, Xhaka and Erdegaard effectively on a 4v2. I don't think uh, and you know what happens then yeah us. exactly I don't think they will but they could um, and if and if that happens 
defenders will get drawn towards Xhaka and Erdegaard, which leaves space for us to exploit. So it will be fascinating because Klopp has made quite a big deal about changing that structure. So, yeah, it's fascinating to see if he's brave enough to do it against inform Arsenal. I hope, I personally hope he does, because I think it will make for a great game and a really interesting tactical one. And just on Saliba, one more thing, because, you know, we've all sort of said, oh, he's such a young guy and he's going to make mistakes. Um, and, I mean, we, we shouldn't forget, he already made one against Fulham. He scored an own goal. And the crowd's reaction... I mean, I've never really seen anything quite like that. I think I think people were a little bit taken aback by by the level of support and the level of it's okay. It was like a sixty thousand people giving him a collective hug, really, genuinely. And I think that has made him step up even more. I think he knows that we've got his back, and so we have talked quite a lot about the crowd on this podcast, and it does feel great, does it not, uh, Art, to, to feel collectively part of this whole process really I mean we're, we we are playing our part are we not yeah that was against Leicester actually not Fuller sorry, but, um, sorry I think that moment was very weird in a good way because it almost seemed like everyone knew what to do <laughs> um, <laughs> and for that to happen with 60,000 people I, I don't think that will happen again and it was very unique because I think just the day before Arteta had spoken about having to protect Saliba when things go wrong and it just so happened that the next day something went wrong and everyone kind of gave him that collective hug as you're talking about Ian and I think just you saw slowly last season the atmosphere got really really good second half of the year in particular and it's obviously been helped this year by the Ashburn army in the clock end but I think the big games is where you really see it because you just see how up for it everyone is. And it it now feels like every game means something again. Whereas um, I think if you rewound just before the pandemic hit, I think there wasn't really that sense of every game meaning something. And it was almost just a sense of apathy, really. Um, how many times does a player... Because in the past... With late Wenger era or during a bad times under Unai or whatnot, what early Arteta, it one mistake by any player was seized on. And it was like, ah, you're rubbish. You know, you could just hear it. You could hear the, hear the groans. It feels like this that, that now anyone can do anything in terms of making a mistake and they'll still get support because there's so much good faith in the bank. It feels like you can almost make three or four mistakes before before the fans will start to to get disgruntled. And that's that's a lovely place to be. But Adrian, yeah, surely as a player, I mean we were talking earlier about about Saka and Martinelli and uh, and um, Saliba not having signed contracts. And one of the things that would make you sign a contract, you'd think, oh my God, there's 60,000 people plus all the others lot who genuinely love me and love what I do and and are prepared to let me express myself even though things might not work out. And uh, I mean, that's a very, very compelling case for staying. Very compelling. Very, very compelling. Players have signed for clubs like Liverpool in the past because of the fans, because of, you know, those big nights where it's great atmospheres. And now Arsenal are putting themselves in a position um, where players are wanting to be part of the whole, you know, the whole party. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's some turnaround. It is <laughs> it's some given, turnaround. Given, you know, probably a year ago, it, it, well, just over a year ago now, it was not 
a nice place to go and play football. There was it was a pressure cooker situation. So, yeah, no, let's let's just keep it as it is, please. It's great. What we're looking for special European nights at the Emirates. All right, now people will talk about this from years to come, right? <laughs> like Anfield, only it's different now. Yeah, the Emirates. Nobody ever wins at the Emirates. Um, let's have. Uh, let's have a song uh, to finish. Uh, Adrian, what have you got for well, us? Yeah, all right. Don't laugh before I start. The, uh... <laughs> <What> do you <laughs> I'm know, not laughing. I'm you know it's not, not going to be obscure. You know you're going to know it. Um, <laughs> and it's I had contracts in my head when I was thinking about a song here with Saka and Saliba and Co. So I've got a bit of a classic by Al Green. Let's stay together. Let's yes. stay together. Yes, yes, absolutely it's a beaut- fantastic. Um, so yeah, uh, marvelous song. Uh, Art, what have you got? Uh, I've taken a leaf out of Adrian's book and gone. Well, this is from a few months ago. He went Katy Perry. So I'm going very early 2010s pop as well. Um, inspired by Eddie and Ketia scoring yesterday, "Call Me Maybe" by Carly Rae Jepsen. Yeah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I like that song. <laughs> I, like I actually like that song too. Uh, uh, all right, I'm having um, I'm having Groovy Train. Uh, but is it the farm? Is it the farm who did that? Adrian, you're so special. Get on, get on, get on. Oh yeah, it's a get good song, on my yeah. Groovy Train. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, that song. Cause, um, and that's really talking about the people who might be holding out for uh, contracts. Get on the groovy train. Yeah, that's good. three good choices there. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we've got at the Emirates at the moment. Uh, that's it. Enjoy the game, uh, Sunday. I'm sure you all will. Thanks to Art. Thanks to Adrian. Thanks to Guy, our producer this week. And uh, have a nice day, listener. I'm Ian Stone. This has been Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletics. See ya. 